0: Thanks for listening to the Real Life Podcast. If you live in the Erie area, we invite you to join us in person on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. or live on Facebook and YouTube by searching Real Life Assembly. Now, here's this week's message. So let's jump in. This is actually uh, the close uh, of a, about a seven or eight weeks that we have been on this Sour Subject series. So for the summer, we kind of took an angle. Um, this is not normally how I kind of present the truths uh, here on Sunday, uh, much more, uh, more comfortable, I guess, you know, kind of with the pulpit or preaching, but kind of doing a little bit of, of teaching and talking about some topics and subjects that maybe we don't always talk about in church, or maybe we don't talk about enough. And so if you're with us today for the very first time, you're catching us on our last Sunday about just looking at some areas of response for the church or uh, some of the topics that uh, are kind of current in our culture and what do we, what do we need to do about those? Uh, how, what do we need to believe and how do we need to respond uh, to some of those things as well? And so we thought as a conclusion, uh, we sent out kind of word uh, to, for you to, to send in some questions. And this week, we got flooded with questions, so we weren't sure uh, you know, how, how engaging this would be, and, uh, and man, you guys just kind of fired up. And the good news is, is that by the end of this, there are going to be a lot of you that are going to be mad at me at the end of service, all right? So what we've been talking about this series is, is that I'm going to give you the straight scoop, and whether you like it or not, whether you're going to be happy or not, again, it might make you happy, and it might make you mad, all right? Maybe that'll be the gauge, but we're going to go... I've got some really, really good questions, but before we kind of jump into them, I really want to set a little bit of a, a big table because not just for our session today, but there are always going to be issues and challenges us in the Challenges for us in the day in which we are living about kind of questions about well, how do we respond to this pastor Jim? Um, what about this and so I want to take a few minutes before we jump into them and and kind of set this table to give you some Kind of direction and instruction for the future current and the future that when you are faced with difficult situations things to believe or or how to believe or how to respond what, what's kind of the guiding principles that, that we go through in all of this? So we're going to kind of set some parameters for us when we face challenging or controversial issues. Uh, what should be our kind of plan of attack in doing that? So let me give you a couple of those things before we jump in this morning. So what do we do when the Bible is not clear on certain issues or maybe does does not give us clear direction kind of in this 21st century world in which we are living how many are glad that the bible does give us a lot of thou shalt nots? yes how many know that's pretty clear stuff right it's great we might not like it but it's really good right for us in the long run that when we read a thou shalt not how many can say I get it right I might not like it, but I get it, right? Very clear, very to the point. God's not messing around, a thou shalt not. But a lot of issues certainly over these last 2,000 plus years don't always match up to what you and I are living with here in America um, in our culture today. And so we find ourselves in some gray areas. We find ourselves where a thou shalt not uh, doesn't always fit in the circumstance. You know, I thought about my own life, and probably a lot of you here today, kind of when I think about church life over the last 30 or 40 years, and certainly when I was growing up, um, the issues were definitely different. Um, My dad speaking to issues way differently than, than I was speaking to issues today. You know, what some of the sour subjects were when I was growing up, when we went to church camp... Did you know that the boys and girls could not swim in the swimming pool at the same time? They called it mixed bathing, right? No one was bathing, although a lot of the camp boys should have been bathing, whether in the pool or whatever, right? How many parents send their boys to camp and look like, oh my goodness, right? But that was a hot button issue when I was growing up. God forbid that boys and girls would be swimming in the swimming pool, Uh, at the same time women you probably had it a little bit more difficult you were not allowed to wear pants uh, certainly to church or maybe out even in the open makeup was another hot button hot topic 30 40 years ago these were the things when again church people if they had an opportunity to ask what's the right or wrong issue R rated movies Whoo, huge taboo, right? Going to the movie theater in church uh, for, for someone at church was a, was a big no-no as well. These were kind of the sour subjects that, um, that were probably discussed or maybe uh, were, were kind of preached at people 30 or 40 years ago. Just think about how that relates to where we are today. What have been the subjects that we have talked about in the last six or seven weeks? talked about gender identity, right? We're talking about people that were boys and now want to be girls and girls who were girls that now want to be boys and kind of everything in between. Uh, Obviously, the issues of kind of social status, about drinking, about abortion, about different entertainment choices, um, you guys would probably kind of, you know, if, if I said, hey, you know, you're not, you're not allowed to go to a movie theater. You know, you guys would, like in our culture today, you'd back away with that. You're like, Pastor, what, like who are you? What do you, you know, and, and how much obviously changes and what are the issues that we, that we are challenged ourselves with today? So when the Bible is not emphatic on a life issue, what do we do about that? Well, I think a lot of us come up to our own conclusions in a way, I think with maybe a process that when we grew up helps set the tone, maybe where we grew up sets the tone or how we grew up sets the tone. So when we think when the Bible doesn't directly speak, when there is a thou shalt not and we find people in church that, well, they do it and, and other people in the same church, well, they don't do it. How many ever use that argument with their parents, right? Well, Timmy's dad, Timmy's parents let them do it, right? Well, you know, so what do we do in the church? Well, I think a lot of it about, again, where, how, when we grew up sets a cultural stance for us that oftentimes bleeds into what we feel is a biblical issue as well. And I just want to caution us a little bit this morning because it often boils down to a cultural position on some of these issues, and and some of us can be pretty dogmatic on our cultural issue that aren't always a biblical issue, okay? So, again, I'm not only here, in a sense, to help guide and direct you, but obviously in some of those differences and how we are going to strive to live our Christian life, we recognize that from person to person or family to family, we are going to find some differences in that. And I think we have an honest and should have an honest approach to some of that as well. Where there is a thou shalt not, we have to be careful that my kind of cultural position that I think is a biblical position and we're maybe going to attack another family who, who acts differently than the stand that we have, I think we have to show some caution and some grace there as well. Are you following me with that? So I think we have to do our best and that's why I'm kind of setting this table for you is that we can't just, because that's what we've been told or because that's the way our family has always lived, thinking that it is a solid biblical position and then we just kind of cast that or we look down on other people because they aren't holding up to the standard that we think is right. And sometimes that standard is not always based on solid biblical truth. So when we are facing these challenges and it comes to gray issues, the first challenge might be turning issues that are black and white into gray issues. And what I mean by that is we end up approving of something that God disapproves of. Now again, 30 or 40 years ago, that might not be that much of an issue, but it is today. Today. One pastor commented that he officiated a wedding in a church that had a plaque hanging on their wall that read that they ordain homosexual clergy as part of their fellowship, as part of their church. So clearly, we are facing issues today where God has a black and white And yet our culture or quote our church or biblical culture, our own due diligence to understand and make a good dividing line on what is it that we know are true black and white issues and that we do not slide those into the gray areas, that we do our study and understanding what the Bible teaches us, that when God has a thou shalt not or another edict uh, for us, that we don't let that slide into a gray area. The second, somewhat like the first, is that the challenge is, is that, and maybe more for us today, is that we take gray issues and we turn them into black and white issues. And I think that we have to be cautious. Some of you grew up, and again, like, like I did in some respects, that uh, the, the, the culture of life, that That from the pulpit or from the church that they made these black and white issues that they limited. And, And some of you may have come out of churches that still exist today. We call it legalism. Where they are more emphatic on the stuff almost as much as equal to scripture. And you might think, well, pastor, is that a challenge for today? Well, sure. It's been a challenge as long as there has been scripture In fact, if you read the Gospels, one of the biggest challenges that Jesus had was against those that were teaching not just, quote, biblical truth, but all the other things that had to go along with it that that made you a good Christian. Jesus' biggest fight with the religious leaders was on this air of legalism, right? That, That scripture was not enough, that you had to add in and you had to live this certain way and again there are some good we've talked about it in the past there is a good thought process to that I mean again this idea of, of worldliness versus holiness again if there is a line I hope that we would all want to shade more towards holiness right we want to know that there is, should be something different about us as being a follower of Jesus but it can't be based on that's why I'm a believer. That's why uh, you know heaven is is mine today, because of the things that I do. We know that it's based on the work that Christ has already done for us. Can you say amen today? So we got to be careful that we don't take the last set of parameters before we jump into some of the thought today. So to guide you and me living in the 21st century, and kind of for your own work. So, you know, this isn't kind of listening to me on a Sunday. This is you and your workplace or with your family or with whatever issues that we are going to face in the days ahead. What do I really need to know? What are questions that I need to answer uh, for me to get some kind of direction in, in what I'm challenged by? And so here's five things that I want to give you this morning. If you're, um, they're probably on the app, but they're in the note section, or if you just kind of want to take a, a screenshot, they're going to be on the screen this morning. Number one, is this a biblical issue? Listen, some of you, right, are going to fight at Thanksgiving over some, right, You're, you're trying not to stay out of politics or church stuff with your family at Thanksgiving, but some of you find that impossible, right? You just have family members that just like to stir the pot when the family gets together, and And there are these kind of things that take place. Um, There's a little bit of that in our family, Um, mainly my wife's side. But other than that, uh, it seems that from time to time when that whole family gets together, somebody just kind of hits a hot button and fur starts to fly a little bit and, you know, like whatever. And so if we're going to jump into some of these things, we have to realize, is this a biblical issue? So we kind of talk a little bit about, you know, biblical versus a gray, kind of one of those gray issues. Number two, at the end of the day, is it sinful? So it's not a matter that we do or don't discuss these things. I think it's a matter of of how rigorously that we have to defend our position on this. The Bible talks about, even in the little Johns at the end, that there are are different sin things that don't... If we think that, you know, that this sin is going to... Instantly put somebody in hell in you know in a split second the Bible says that's that's not biblical teaching And so we have to understand in this practice. Is it sinful? It may be inappropriate um, It may not uh, but but at what level are we? Accruing it to to where we recognize that it is something that the Bible truly calls sinfulness is it sacred and I think that's where probably between these two, the sinful or the sacred. Again, this is what Jesus dealt with most of his ministry time here on earth, and it's what we still are challenged with today. The idea is, do I have my position? Am I enamored with it because of where I grew up, how I grew up, and when I grew up? And it's just something that's in me, and, and I just can't see any other way around it. So is it more based on sacredness or church tradition versus it being something, a true biblical or sinful issue. Again, the last two, is it cultural and ultimately is it personal for me? I think we all have some stands. Now, I have some particular stands um, that the Bible doesn't necessarily address as sinful, but I have a pretty strong personal conviction because of the situation or circumstance uh, of, of what has happened in my life or with those that are around me um, that that have kind of, you know, welded, you know, a really strong conviction in my heart or in my soul. And so I try not to put that on other people, but but I have a very strong conviction about it for me. And I think that we have to be careful that if we have very strong personal convictions that we guard that when we have... Uh, conversations with others, especially when they aren't sinful, right? They may not be uh, horribly wrong or different, but they're not sinful, that we're careful on on our response to all of that. So that just leads into just one other kind of little thought process I want to give to you. You see, obviously, when we look at Scripture and how we live today, there's an idea that, well, Pastor, I mean, the Bible was written a long time ago. And not only do we follow, obviously, Jesus' command in the New Testament, but a lot of those thou shalt nots, where do we find them at? New Testament or Old Testament? Old Testament. So it's even further back, right, that that we go back now thousands of years that doesn't really relate. Is it things that my life are, are guided by, do I have to adhere to today in the 21st century? So here's a little thought for those of you that do your work and and jump into study, whatever. All of the Bible is for me, but not all of the Bible is to me. So you see, a lot of us kind of get struggling a little bit when somebody has an opposite view of you or your position. Because I think you and I have to be honest, is that sometimes my view or my position is not accurately biblical it's been passed down maybe because of tradition or again where when how i grew up and i'm not saying that that's bad and again it's kind of a line like i said if if we have to draw a line i'd rather be on the the holier side i'd rather be on the limiting side than just like throwing your door open and let people do whatever they want and hopefully it works out for them at the end i'm not saying that I i would strive to slide to the to the holy side but I think that you're going to challenge and, and take on some of these issues that you better dig in, right? And understand, is this a true biblical issue? Is there evidence in scripture that formulate my position? And again, listen, we all get help from other people. Some of your opinion is maybe some thought, but, but somebody else has formed your opinion. Maybe somebody that you read Somebody that you've listened to, somebody that you like, and they kind of have a certain doctrine or dogma, and they, you know, they man, that's kind of their one-trick pony, and they go after it, and you kind of feel that way, and you jump on that bandwagon. Not saying that any of that is wrong, but I think the challenge for you and I, if we are going to hold a position, dear, that, that it's good that you recognize and that you know that from a biblical standpoint as well. Does that make sense? Right? So again, obviously, we use a, a lot of opportunities that we have, but again, at the end of the day, if it's something that we are going to, you know, die for, we better know it's not based on what so-and-so has told me or what has been passed down to me. It better be based on because this is what the Word of God says. Amen? And obviously, we live in a world where, uh, you know, there, there is a challenge with that. So this gets me, I know I've said this is the last thing like seven times already today, Right? But it's a a great lead into, so this is maybe a little deeper than you want to go today, but I just want to kind of help you, because we realize that, well, pastor, there are a couple of different camps, right, on some doctrinal issues, so, quote, who's right? And you probably know about some of them, well, these, these guys say this, or this says this, and These guys say this and whatever. So there's there's way more to it, but if you're with me on Tuesdays and Thursday mornings, I do a morning Bible study on Tuesdays and Thursday mornings on our Facebook Live. We talked about this for a couple of months just recently. So there's two things. It's exegesis. So we have to be true to the original text. So whatever your position is going to be, whatever you're going to be or whoever you're going to listen to, At the end of the day, you got to believe that we are drawing from the Word of God the truth about what the Word of God says. We kind of say that, say the then and there when we think about exegesis. So when we read the Bible, we realize that it was written a long time ago. So what was the original intent? It's very important when we study God's Word that we recognize that. So we discover the original intended meaning. And there's more to than just knowing the original language. You'll hear a lot of people say, well, I, you know, in the Hebrew it says this. Listen, there's way more than etymology of a word that goes into that. So there is historical content, there is literary content, and there is also the question of content as to where and how and when it was written as well. All of that goes into a good interpretation, especially when we think about doctrinal issues, or challenges when we hear opinions from both sides. And then there's the hermeneutical. So again, just these two things, I know it's kind of big words, right? So it's the exegetical, what does the text say? And, and secondly is important, it's the hermeneutical. It's the work that we have to do that brings it into the here and now. So we're taking all of that work that happened thousands of years ago, and how do we bring it and correctly interpret it to our culture, to what I'm dealing with today. So, when I'm here on Sunday, that's what I'm trying to present to you. And I know a lot of you are saying, wow, he does a lot of work for only working one day a week, right? Like, a lot goes into this stuff, right? Like, you're already glazing over and like, oh my gosh, Exo who? And Herman, Herman, who, right? Like, how do we come up with all of this stuff? So there are some guiding principles in the exegesis and the hermeneutical that help us to realize if we are going to dissect God's word the very best we can, there's a lot that goes into it. So I'm not dissuading any of us, right, again, on our position, well, pastor, I believe this because of, and again, if it's how I grew up, where I grew up, and when I grew up, right, that's okay, Right? We, we get shaped and formed that way, but that can't be our only position. Our position has to be based on biblical truth, amen? So some of the, that's why some of you are going to be mad at me today, because some of the things that I say are going to wreck your position about how you came out to it. Because old sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so told me this, you know, when I was nine, and gosh darn it, that's, that's how I believe it, and that's why. Well, brother so and so or sister so and so might not have got it right, and so it might be eye opening for you to realize I've been wrong all these years, right? Could be, right? So that's why we have to do our due diligence. So um, we've got so I, we got probably seven or eight uh, questions, really good ones. Um, I joke with some people. I think I'm actually going to set a timer today, all right? Because I'm going to try to get through as many of these as possible. How many of you know that a timer means absolutely nothing at real life? But but we're going to give it a go so I can try to get to some of these as, as much as I can. So I am starting the timer, all right? So here's the first question we got. If salvation is free, why do I need to die to myself and carry my cross? Is that free? Okay? So first of all, the thing that we need to agree on is that salvation is free. Can everybody say amen? Amen. All right, read Ephesians chapter two and a lot of other verses that help us to understand. We recognize that we haven't done anything, that God has done it all through the work of Jesus Christ and that salvation is free. But then it brings us into, again, on at least my understanding, here's one of these areas where there are at least two camps if we're trying to understand salvation. Is it free Or is there some attitude of of works, right, that go along with it or an adherence to following um, the decision that we made in being saved? Kind of big picture, some of you are aware of, there are those that believe in eternal security or kind of their tagline, once saved, always saved, right? And there are others that believe that although we recognize that we are saved, that, that we still adhere to disciplines and godly living and lifestyle that guarantee the work that Christ has done for us. I'm not sure if that was the full intent. All of these questions were anonymous, so I I, I don't know the author of the question, but it leads me again to help with a couple of of directions in this way. But carrying our cross, at least as the, the question, has nothing to do with salvation. So there's kind of a part one and a part two I read into this question. Part one is, is that we agree that God through through is free and offered to us, right, as a gift of God through, through grace that he's done for us in our faith to believe in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. We all agree to that, right? But part two is that we recognize that Jesus shared with his disciples this idea in coming into contact with him and becoming a disciple of him is that there is some level then of denying ourselves and carrying a cross. And so again, it might be for you and I, well, if Christ has done it all and has granted me salvation and freedom, then, then what do I have to do anymore? Like why? So again, what I think we're talking about, what Jesus brought to us today is this a better understanding of what, first of all, maybe what Jesus didn't mean when he talked about carrying our cross. I think a lot of people again relate it to some burden that we have to carry, right? That now we just kind of be are heaped down that we've come to Christ. Now we wear this heavy cloak and and all of these rituals and all of these things that go along with it, a thankless job or maybe illness or well, that's just kind of my cross to bear. You hear people say, right? So I think we have a a different framework of what was Jesus meaning when he talked about or uh, again, the the interpretation of when Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Obviously in Jesus' day, the idea of the cross was much more different than how we look at it today. When we think about the Roman cross and execution and, and obviously what Jesus went through for us, it was very focal about what an execution, what the cross meant. But Jesus was relating to us today that as we take our cross, it means that we need to be willing to die to ourself to follow him. So I think the idea of carrying our cross is not this idea of anything still that I have to do other than my constant kind of progression and my projection is that whatever I achieve, whatever my path is in life, that I am being guided by a God Who loves me that cares for me that has mapped out a journey for me and that I'm gonna find joy even in suffering amen I'm gonna find my my worth in in others and and recognizing that what God has done for me that I have a heart that I want to share that and that I am reminded that in myself that there is nothing that could provide hope to anyone else my only hope is that Jesus will be seen in and through me, and everything that I do. I think the idea of carrying our cross also has this idea of absolute surrender. So it's more on our part, our willingness, right, to be able to carry the cross, not to earn us anything, but to help us to be able to reveal to others what my lifestyle is all about. One that is pleasing, that is being lived out to God. Jesus said, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life, for me, will save it. So I think there are two different points that go along with that. Oh, I don't know if you can all hear that or not, but my timer just went off. All right? I don't know how to stop it, but... All right. So hopefully that helps a little bit in the idea of, of, uh, of that issue. All right? So here's the second question that we got. Let me start the timer. Vaccines, and what's the church's position on it? Ooh, all right? With clear potential. Here's part two. With clear potential, is it the beginning of the whole process of the mark of the beast in the making? So is this whole idea of vaccines. So the question number one, what is the church's position on the vaccine? Well, this is easy. The church has no position on vaccines, all right? Again, maybe that makes some of you happy, maybe that makes some of you mad, all right? Um, So it's hard, I think, for us certainly to comment on a, at least in our time, a -a once-in-a-lifetime pandemic. I'm going to address a couple of things, so just kind of stay with me as well. So, obviously, in the suddenness about what we have experienced over the last couple of years has obviously been something that, for most of us, we have never experienced before in our life. And so, obviously, I think it takes some time, obviously, in formulating what is a position or stand that we make. I also realize that believers have taken a vaccine or refused this current vaccine Right? And I think there is probably a, a good dividing line within the church or within the church culture. There are those that have taken it, and there are those that haven't taken it. I don't want to hear amens, boos, hisses on any issue yet, all right? And, and as I talk to a lot of you, I think here are some of the reasons. First of all, I think some people have taken it, that I will say, an educated reason. There are a lot of people in the medical field that are believers, some that attend real life or other churches, whatever, and they have, some I know had a sense that there was somewhat of a a forcing right to take it, but a lot of them took it willingly out of some kind of medical or Hippocratic oath of, of how they lead their life in thinking for others or the position that they have. There are others that have not taken it based on constitutional reasons. They believe that in America, that that it it is against our... Again, the, the pandemic was worldwide, and every country had a stance to their own citizens and people, so we're just talking about America right now, and there were a number of people I know that refused to take it on a constitutional or a governmental type basis, and there were a lot of people that took it or didn't take it on basis of humanity. Um, that, that whether they felt they could make their own informed decision, that in the height of it, that they would separate themselves, that they would not be blatant with going around to maybe spread a virus. And there were others that maybe took the, the, the vaccine, believing that they were doing the right thing, that it would help those that are around, that they would not be a spreader and all those kind of things. Obviously, our position is maybe a little bit different two years post versus when we were in the height of it. Would you agree? Like there were some people that were, you know, very crazy about it in the moment, right? That, that maybe that has, in and, and a good way, in a bad way, um, and, and maybe that has tempered itself. Um, I know that we went through a lot of stuff with our school, right? Um, because we had children. And, and, and now it's come, I think I, Debbie told me today that most of every mandate that we were forced to comply with two years ago is now completely abolished. So even if there is a case, in, in two years ago, we had to shut down for 10 days. How many know? Right? There were boom, 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 boom. Now the state and all of these regulating bodies are saying, eh, yeah, if somebody gets it, you know, maybe obviously don't have to come to school, but, you know, okay, surah, surah. Just like live life, do it. I mean, it's been a big difference over these two years, Right? I mean, I was just at a Christian concert last week. I mean, there were 15,000 people who were shoulder to shoulder, right? Like, everybody's singing and, like, blowing out everything, right, that, like, that's in us. So. so, with so many variations, here's, like, one other point that I want to bring out to you today. Here's another side of it: is The one other thing that I saw was that there was a judgmental spirit, that existed in this newfound challenge that we all faced with this. And some of it wasn't good. Uh, there was a lack of compassion and understanding towards others. And I'm glad that we live in America and that we have a position and that we can, even if it was, and I can agree in the sense of constitutionally or say, hey, no one's, no one's forcing me, right? And if, if that's your position or however that is, but but I think there was a lot of, misunderstanding and a lack of compassion towards other people and whatever issue they were taking. And, and yet, I think there were a lot of you to say, hey, if you're going to take it, great. I'm not, like, great, you know, whatever, whatever. Timer went off, I'm not stopping, so. Um, and I think that it translated even more, I think, unfortunately, that there were even family members disowning their own family, whether in the moment or who knows for how long. Because of a position that we felt that we needed to make that was best for us or for our family, right? I don't know if Tori and Luke or Tori's, there's, yeah, I felt bad. Tori and Luke were planning to get married kind of in the height of, of uh, COVID. And so her kind of bridal stuff and all the, and then the wedding and, right, there was a lot of family stuff and guest stuff about. And it was in the height of all of that. And, you know, there were a lot of things that a family had to navigate with other family, and and I don't know, I'm not gonna just kind of pull out the Purcells, but I mean, I think a lot of us, right, I don't know if kind of family, you know, that's been rectified, but boy, in the moment, you know, families were were talking to me like, Pastor, my my sister said she never wants to see me again as long as I, you know, was like, whoa, right? I mean, it brought out a lot of deep emotion, and so I hope that we don't ever face another global pandemic, But I hope that we're better, right, in in facing, realizing that there are challenges that need to be faced. I think the idea of these mandated vaccines, I'll just say this quickly. We've had them before. When I was growing up, I would believe in my heart, they were mandated vaccines. When I went to school, I actually got my shots at school. How many? Anybody else? Right? And my parents didn't have a problem. You all got them. I I have a bump on my shoulder, right, where they did all those kind of things. And I know there are a lot of parents today that are refusing to have their kids vaccinated to go to school. And they have reasons, and probably good reasons for that. So again, times change. Uh, Our understanding of vaccines, and I think that was the critical part. So here's kind of a lead into part two. We have to be careful, I think, of conspiracy theories, So as much as it is with any vaccines today, right, I think people do good research and they make good informed decisions for them and for their family. But for a while there, I was hearing with this kind of COVID vaccine that they were putting in microchips and little robots that were going to go into your body. Am I, please nod your head if you heard some of these crazy outlandish things, right? So again, in this lineup, is this the beginning of the mark of the beast, Pastor Jim, right? Now this herd mentality, right? They're getting us all to agree and all to believe the same thing. And then they're going to shoot something in our arm. And now we've got, you know, they can, they've got a button, right? They're going to mind control us. I'm not saying that there ain't some wild stuff out there. I'm just saying just be careful with conspiracy theories as well, okay? And here's what I want to say directly towards that issue. Is this leading towards an acceptance of the mark of the beast? Some of you that maybe have studied end time events, knowing that there is going to be a moment, right? The Bible talks in Revelation, an antichrist, and kind of this new world order, and and to buy and to sell, right? that, That we interpret and we read. Here's what I want you to hear from me this morning. There doesn't have to be any prep for the mark of the beast, So if you're worried, is this a mark of the beast? Is that a mark? You don't have to worry about it at all. There is no prep needed for the mark of the beast. When it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And if you're still here, when it happens, I choose not to be. You're going to have to make a life or death decision on the spot, according to Scripture. So we can fantasize about it. We can conspiracy theory all about it, whatever. But in my opinion, there's no sense. When it happens, it's going to happen. There doesn't have to be a setup to it. The Bible says it's going to happen. You got me? Have I messed with your brains enough? They're like, what? Like, you don't have to worry about it. It's coming. That's what you need to know. It's coming. So there doesn't have to be a setup. It's like, you know, if if, if I say I'm um, Kim, I'm coming to your house at one o'clock. Message that he's coming to your house at one o'clock. You don't have to wonder, Ooh, you know, he he t- put out a Facebook message that he's, I'm coming to your house at one o'clock. It's going to happen. Well, in the same way the Bible says in the end times, these things are going to happen. The Bible talks about a bowl that gets poured over and then another bowl and another bowl, right? It's all in succession. It's all going to happen. Once God kind of hits the timer, it's all going to happen. So the best remedy I could say for you is don't be here when it happens. Have faith in Christ and let him know, all right? All right, let me get a couple of more of these. Now, here's one that's super sensitive, so I'm going to be really cautious, um, but I think it comes up often in situations like this, and it's about suicide. So the question was, suicide and what the Bible talks about, especially someone who struggles with depression and or suffers mental health conditions. So the Bible mentions at least six people in Scripture who committed suicide. Five of them were very wicked or were living wicked lives, and they killed themselves for it. Uh, some throw Samson into the mix, right? That when he died, that, you know, obviously the building fell on him, but again, other people would say his, his intent was not necessarily to set out to kill himself, but to kill the enemy, right? He died within that. But I would have to tell you today that, that I think the totality of Scripture says that Bible is equal, that, that suicide is equal to murder, that, that we are not given the hand to to take life, our own life, right? Or in the sense of murder, any life. Um, That God is the only one who decides how a person comes into the world and how a person leaves the world. Uh, The psalmist said, my time is in your hands. Job says that he gives and he takes away, that this is a thing of God. And so when we take our own life, please stay with me, I've, I've got more to say on this. Um, is that we are rejecting God's gift of life um, and that we have no authority to do that. That's why I think in our culture that murder and certainly of right, that we set out with an intent premeditated to, to kill someone and certainly of our own life as well. But here's kind of part two and part three that I want you to hear as well. But the Bible, although we would say that suicide is sinful, it is not the unpardonable sin. Okay. Where I think a lot of church culture has automatically like, banished somebody straight to hell if you kill yourself. And I don't think that's what scripture is as well. It's a sin, but it is equal or in sense of sin with with every other sin uh, that that could be committed. I think more times than not, when people uh, move forward in that kind of expression, uh, they are an, an individual that is experiencing some deep emotional trouble. Um, and I think that God, again, in God judging sin, so I think the challenge in all of this is that we have to be careful that we are not judgers of sin. Obviously, there are, there are biblical truth and mandate, and it's, you know can be clear to us, but we have to be careful, especially on emotional and mental issues, that that is not our field to be an expert in. That is God's, God formed us, God created us. And so I, I know that it is not the unpardonable sin. I'll give you some things that I do know from Scripture. It is not the unpardonable sin. Um, I know that, that people that have deep emotional struggles and, and maybe take an action that ends their life, that much like we believe if a baby dies at age one and there are those that would speak to the camp, well, unless we confess with the Lord our Savior with our mouth and we believe in our heart, that, that there are those who believe that baby's going to hell. We don't believe that. We believe what? In God's judgment, in God's grace. And so in the same way, when we are not in our right mind, that I'm glad today to know that God is the righteous judge. Amen? I know I can be a pretty good judge, but not all the time. And neither can you. I also know that there are those people, and I think about you know, playing that scenario out a little bit, We had a student when Debbie and I were doing youth ministry, a young lady that took a bunch of Tylenol. I mean, handfuls of Tylenol. In this act, again, I think from our training, do we take every cry and every action as serious? Absolutely. Are some of these a cry for help? Sure they are. Um, And I think in this case, this young girl, in some cry of help and for a notice, whatever. And little did I find out, and I can tell you honestly, I was in the ER room at Hammett Hospital 25 years ago with a family and a doctor, and, and hearing the doctor, it still brings a, a, a chill down my spine, the doctor said, I'm sorry, there is nothing more. Their daughter was still alive. There is nothing more we can do for your daughter. The, the, the medication that is in Tylenol is so toxic after a point that it's like the clock has started and there's nothing that anyone can do to stop it. So I don't know I don't know how many medical people we have in the house today but the truth is is that there were people that probably wanted to get some attention and maybe took a handful of pills little did they know right by taking 20 of them it starts a clock a death clock that you might pull out of it but you might not, and as a doctor, there is nothing I can do to bring you back. I heard those words with my own ears. Fortunately, this young lady recovered, responded. But I think that, again, in this line of this issue, that there are things that people maybe don't want to kill themselves, right? But sometimes they get involved in some things where, unfortunately, there, there's no coming back from. And so, again, how do we judge that? How do, what, what position do we have that happens on that. I also understand having dealt with that issue with family members after an episode takes place of suicide is by far one of the hardest things to die by way that I have to deal with. I know there are families here at Real Life that have had family members die by way of suicide. It's a pain and an anguish that I don't think ever goes away, right? Especially if it was a close family member. And so I think our continued sensitivity uh, for that is, is really... Um, is really needs to be true all right two more um i promise we'll go really quick um this is this will get you all kind of worked up as well so halloween should we celebrate it this is a long question there are two long questions it clearly celebrates darkness and the ability to dress up in evil depictions witches and ghosts and such Yet it appears that there are church members celebrating and dressing up for it as well. Does this align with biblical truth? So I think there's a couple of things we'll mention just kind of briefly. Um, So we realize that Halloween, however they commercialize it, does have roots in pagan origin. That it is not, in the essence of Halloween, a holiday that I believe that the church or a believer celebrates. Um, and, again, there may be different positions for you to say if you're going to celebrate darkness or evil, being a witch, a, a goblin, a ghost, you know, those kind of things as a, as a focus of, of your being, right? So, I know that, and, and so, again, here's the weird thing. We kind of go back in time. Although I grew up, you know, very in a church culture, very, again, towards the line of holiness, most things were wrong. I've said this over the years, right? Halloween was one of those things that was not on the table. And so, you know, little kids could dress up, you know, with sheets with the eyes cut out, and they could have different haunted houses and all those kind of things. And and listen, I don't have an answer for you today. I scratch my head looking back at my life to say, you know, I couldn't do almost anything but we could do Halloween like there, there was no tomorrow, like I don't, I can't rationalize the sense about like what happened. The youth pastor, when I was growing up, talked my dad into we had a we built a new church and they kept the old church building. He turned the old church building into a legitimate haunted house. I think under the auspice of some kind of outreach thing, we're gonna bring kids in. and I can't remember like maybe you know give them the gospel, but I mean. I mean, scary stuff, Halloween stuff, whatever. And I look back, I'm like, what was my dad thinking in the moment? Like, I couldn't go to a movie, or I couldn't do, and, let, and yet, you know, we could do all this. So, listen, over time and culture, all those kind of things. I, I think again, the position for us is that at Real Life is that we offer an alternative, right? We know that it's going to happen in our culture. There's going to be Halloween. So I think what is our response? That we provide certainly an alternative. That then we have done Candy Town here. We have celebrated. We've asked the community to come in. We've had thousands of people come in to celebrate with our Candy Town. That we put an emphasis on kids and celebrating them. Uh, obviously, candy and those kind of things. And our idea was obviously to present more of a gospel message. Some of you, um, again, you might be anywhere in between in that line there are some christians they just shut their lights off in their house they make their kids go to bed at four thirty. they hide <laughs> they hide under the couch right And they're like please don't let's send any of those devil people to our house today right i'm kind of thinking like well is that our approach as well like do, can we not stand in light against darkness as well right? Uh, there was always the one Christian in our neighborhood that rather than giving us candy, he gave us an old chick track. Got to be old school to remember a chick track, right? And we'd be like, darn it! Like, what in the world is that, right? So again, I think the church's position is is that, again, that that think there are these matters of personal choice that we have. Um, and, and as a church, and certainly as an individual, I know growing up, it didn't scar me for life. Um, again, and for some that you are anti, anti, listen, that I think that's our position is that I think we all read into it. Again, I think some grace towards some other issues that people have um, as well, I think are, are completely appropriate as well. Um, okay, we're over time. I've got a couple of more questions, but maybe we'll save those for another series. Let me, Jim, I think I am gonna jump to that very last slide. So let me just give you this at the end. So whenever it comes again to one of these gray issues, um, is that, um, how about to the, is, is there the five questions maybe at the, very, at the very, very end? Do we have that one in there? Yeah, so they're gonna be coming individually. So if there's a point Pastor, you know, give me some direction. Like, how do I face this issue? So, here's what I would say. Will it benefit me spiritually? So, again, Paul said, everything's legal for me. Everything's good for me. Like, I, I don't, he was opposite. I'm not, I'm not trying to find out what I can't do all the time or what's going to, He's like, I'm going to live my life for Jesus. And I realize that there are going to be some times where the world and my Christian faith are going to bump in. He goes, and I realize I'm I'm living for Jesus, and I'm going to follow him, and and he's my passion. But is this going to hurt me spiritually? But also realize that I don't have to do everything either. Like, it's not carte blanche to just go and, and just exercise this freedom in Christ for everything. So will it benefit me spiritually, I think is a good question, if you are challenged on an issue. Number two, will it bring bondage into my life? I know I've talked about alcohol a lot. And and again, is it a sinful action to drink alcohol? I've come to the conclusion, no. Again, much different than what my father would have told you. Obviously, we've talked about drunkenness. And and so I use that just to say, can it be a bondage? Are there people that can take their liberty or their freedom, but but they blow past the line and find themselves getting drunk quite often? Yes, that's a bondage then, and that's then leading into the line of sinfulness. So we do have freedom, but we recognize to what level of freedom do I want to have for me and for those around me. I know that your position is differently than mine. I base a lot of my position on my lifestyle being lived out in a community as your pastor. I think you would want me to live honorably in this community, yes? Yes? I mean, I want to. I think Jesus would want me to. And so I realize, are all things freedom? I mean, not maybe all things, but in that, in that box, are those things freedom for me? Absolutely. But I also choose not to do them because I don't want them to be bondage for me, and I don't want them to be bondage for you either. But that's me. Number three, will it defile God's temple? So again, will these activities, will these challenges that I'm facing, is it something that has potential to harm me and, and to what God has done for me. One of the questions was about tattoos that we didn't get to. And those, those are absolutely wrong. You are going to hell with a tattoo. <laughs> that would have been a good subject to jump into. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Unless it's a cross or a Jesus tattoo. Um, number, th- number four, will it cause another to stumble? I think that's a good maturing believer question. To say, listen, I could do this, but listen, if it's going to cause grief to other people, I can be the bigger person, right? I can be, my godliness can step up in the moment to say, you know what, I'll pass. I think those are God-honoring choices and decisions. And then lastly, will it further the cause of evangelism or will it hinder the cause of evangelism? You know, one of the stories I had on, on the tattoo thing is, and Just the challenge of that is because it's pretty much permanent, right? I mean, obviously now that you can go through an even more difficult process to have it lasered off, or there are artists now that are redesigning tattoos that were mistake tattoos, right, Uh, into something better, whatever, but Joss, if you want to come and help. um, But a, a number of years ago, I took a missions trip because, you know, part of our testimony is also not just for kind of the here and now, like what's in Erie, Pennsylvania, And I took a young guy um, on a missions trip. Again, it was a number of years ago, but a lot of other cultures, especially Christian cultures around the world, especially Latin America, lag way behind, you know, some of the openness that we have found today in America. I, I would say they are, a lot of them are living kind of the American church culture from like 50 years ago still. So I know when I travel to Latin America and we do church services, I mean, I have to wear a tie. You know, or a jacket, like, they're, and they're very, like, well, Pastor, you, like, you cannot get on the platform without a tie. I mean, like, that's next to, you know, you're going to go to hell, or that's a sin kind of thing, whatever, and I had a buddy that had a full-sleeve tattoo, um, and when we got to that certain place, the missionary said, you know, it's, it's a hundred degrees, you know, a thousand percent humidity, whatever, we're out working, we were building a church, whatever, um, and the missionary came to me, he said, Pastor, you're going to have to ask him, he has to wear a long-sleeve shirt. Like, you know, he's representing the church, he's representing God, and tattoos are wrong. And so I had to go to him and I'm saying, hey, listen, you got to understand the culture that you're in today. Here, this is unacceptable. He was very cool with it. But again, we make decisions sometimes, right? Kind of only our here and now. And we recognize that it's not necessarily everywhere that we are in the world. So it kind of learns a lesson. It doesn't mean that you can or you can't. It just means that there are going to be some other decisions that we're going to have to face in the world. All right, enough for today? All right, come on, stand with me this morning. How many of you still like me, love me, still okay? We made it.